I invite you to open your Bibles to the Gospel of John, chapter 2, verses 12 through, we'll stop at 22. Matter of fact, we'll stop after 21. Hear God's word from the Gospel of John. After this, Jesus went down to Capernaum with his mother and brothers and his disciples. There they stayed for a few days. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found men selling cattle, sheep, doves, and others sitting at the tables exchanging money. So Jesus made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple area, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. How dare you turn my father's house into a market? The disciples remembered that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. Then the Jews demanded of him, what miraculous sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple, and I will raise it again in three days. The Jews replied, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you are going to raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. I'm going to keep going. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. It's the word of God. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, God, it's by the power of your word and by the power of your spirit that in your light we'll see light. Lord, God, it's by the power of your word and by the power of your spirit that in your truth we'll discover freedom. Guide us by the power of your word and by the power of your spirit that in your will we will discover peace. Lord, as your word and your people come together, something should change. So I pray that we'd have open hearts to that change. Lord, may the meditations of my mouth and heart be pleasing unto you, for you are our rock and you are our redeemer. The people of God who love God said, Amen. 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 I got a sermon here, but I'm just excited, and I mean that. I'm just excited to be here, even just driving here today. And I know, I've been sitting in the pew before, and I'm like, okay, that's great, we'll get on with it anyways. But I just am excited, I mean it. Just even driving here today, it's such a gift to be, to be the church, and to be able to, to come together like this. And there's a lot of churches that don't have this privilege and opportunity, so I really, truly praise God for you opening your doors and your hearts, and that we can fellowship like this, and that it's gone on for decades uh, I'm telling you, that's not lost on me. It's extremely meaningful. And when I read the Bible, oftentimes you're looking for metaphors that you can relate to now. And I think, what, what a privilege when you're reading the letters of Paul that, that there's churches that are trying to help each other and support each other in different ways. And to be able to be that and do that is such a privilege. So again, thank you so much. But here we are, people of God, gathered in the Lord's house on the Lord's day. Community and Congregation of Faith Christian Reformed Church. Here you are, gathered on the Lord's house on the Lord's day. Here you are, members of congregation of Roseland Christian Ministries, Roseland Christian Reformed Church. And here you are, uh, friends from Dort College. Here we are, gathered on the Lord's house on the Lord's day. And I would ask you to think, because I think the text urges us to maybe ask the question, what is the primary reason that we are gathered here on this day? Why are you gathered to the Lord's house on the Lord's day? Maybe, maybe you're here because you need a little spiritual boost to get through the week. Maybe you're here today because you need a little resurrection power 
to, to, to get you through life when there seems to be so much death around you. Maybe the weight of life and living and your own brokenness and sin is so heavy that, 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 that you need a place to come to lay your burdens down. Maybe. Maybe you're here because you need the community and the fellowship. Which, by the way, the story of a new child being born and a man turning 100 on the same day. What, what, a, what a wonderful thing. But, but, but maybe you're here today because it's Sunday and you're a child and what, that's what your parents make you do on Sundays. All of those are good reasons, I suppose. But I asked what's the primary reason that you're here this morning. We are all here in one way or another to worship God. In one way or another, we are here to worship God this morning. Worship is the one thing that the church does that is not done at any other time or any other place or by any other major body in the world. We come to make contact in some way with the divine, with God. And that, that's no easy task. We, we, we come to, to make contact with God, we, to, to create a physical space, which is a beautiful building, and, 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 and an order of worship planned out during the week to gather musicians and bring their stuff and, and have all these skills and talents up together to, to choose songs, to choose liturgy, and it's, it's all time-consuming enough. But then we do all of that with the real hope that, that somehow when we come together, we are going to make contact with God. And it happens in a church, read sometime, just go home and read the order of worship, but there's, there's this exchange that happens, right? The, the pastor uh, greets from God, we greet each other, there's a prayer of confession, the pastor gives an assurance of pardon as in you are forgiven, there's this exchange between the people of God and God. And it goes back and forth, maybe a lay person, a person in the congregation comes up and gives prayers of the people later on, but, but the prayers go up and hopefully God, God hears and blesses and, 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 and there's this hope and this trust that God will somehow, something is supposed to happen. We come to make contact with God. And all of it is a great undertaking. And when you pan out a little bit, when you move the camera back, a little bit. It's an even greater undertaking that, 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 that you realize that the church doesn't just do this because we've always done it, but we've always done it because we have always believed in hope and trusted that there would be some great contact between a perfectly holy God and an unholy people when we do this. You all with me so far? You're audible means good. Your silence means good. <laughs> if you're mad at me because that's a stereotype or something, get over it. In Jesus' day, and in Jesus' times, before him even, the people of Israel came to the temple for that interaction. They would sing psalms. They would offer sacrifices. They would confess and offer sacrifices. The, the priest would mediate between God and God's people. And in order for the sins of the people to be absolved, a sacrifice needed to be made. And a sacrifice is oftentimes a living animal. So, 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 so there were living animals sold right outside the temple or in the temple. 
It's not unlike this, although a way lesser weight and gravity, but I went to get my vehicle emissions test the other day in, in Harvey or Robbins, or I don't know what, what it's considered right there, but the second you leave, right outside the door, are 10 muffler shops. It's, it's the same sort of situation. Um, they needed to offer sacrifices, and readily available are sacrifices. Well, Jesus shows up one day and doesn't like what he sees. Matter of fact, it, it was probably not an unusual day at the temple. It was kind of business as usual. And, and Jesus doesn't like what he sees, and he flips the table. You know the story. And the temptation of the text is to say, yeah, I'm like Jesus. I, I would do the same thing. But two things. Number one, they were just doing what they've done. This wasn't an unusual day at the temple. They were doing what they always did, offering sacrifices, buying sacrifices. Check yourself on that one. I had to check myself. The second one is this. How often have our attempts to reach God in worship or devotion become quickly distorted into something not so pure as well? How often have our attempts to come to God in church, in worship, in, 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 in all that happens been not so pure and easily distorted as well? Our best faithful attempts to worship God oftentimes fall short. Thinking we're going to muster up the right song, the right spirit, the right prayer, the right sermon, the right atmosphere and, and manipulate God into something we want to see. And it becomes business as usual and just an exchange. And it's easy to turn God into some sort of human construct. The song can be beautiful, the stained glass glistening, the emotion that we can work up with the, the music. It can all be there, but underneath there can be an ugly and unholy expectation that, that we are turning God into an easy exchange. As easy as selling cattle outside or inside the temple. Yes. When I was a child, I grew up for the first six, seven years in Fulton, Illinois. If you headed directly west, you'd probably run into Fulton. It's a town of about 3,000 people, but no, 1,900 people, I think. Uh, but I, but I, every day when I was a kid, we lived right next to a vacant lot. Every day I played baseball, my brother and I. Uh, we just played baseball every single day. And there was, a, there was an alley uh, just at the end of our of our lot or the vacant lot, and if you hit it past the alley, it was a home run, but I mean, we spent every day when we were kids there just playing baseball, and when I would go inside, when we would go inside, we'd take all of our baseball cards, turn on WGN, which always played the Cubs, so I was cursed to be a Cubs fan from the day I was born. This is the year. This is the year. We're turning God into something else right now, and I just led you there, I'm sorry. God is not a Cubs fan. We know this. <laughs> but I'd line up all my cards, right? Jody Davis was the catcher. I had Rick Sutcliffe as the pitcher. Uh, Leon Durham was first base. Sean Dunstan, Ryan Sandberg, Ron Say, Keith Moreland, Bob Denier. I There was one other guy in the outfield. Gary Matthews, Sarge. Um, and, and Lee Smith was a reliever. Anyways, so, so I'd line up all my cards, and, and, and I would play, and, and, and a couple years later, we moved just outside of Chicago in the suburbs, 
And it was my life's dream at that point to go to Wrigley Field. I mean, I had no, you know, what do you want to be when you're, I don't care, I just want to go to Wrigley Field. What do you want to do? I want to go to Wrigley Field. And so one day my dad came home and said, hey, I'm not going to work tomorrow. I'm taking you and your brother to Wrigley Field. Uh, we're going to go see the Cubs. This was like 1989 at this point. So, so I get up early in the morning. I got my Cubs shirt on, got my Cubs hat on, got my glove on. My brother's got the same. And, and, and we drive uh, down to Wrigley Field. It's, it's mid-June. And Wrigley did not disappoint. It was more magical than it was on TV. It was my field of dreams that day. It was, and, and it's located, you know, in the, in the heart of a neighborhood, so you got all the energy and the hustle and the bustle, and the grass was so green, and the ivy and the brick, and, and the breeze was just right, and the old scoreboard, and the, the cubs and their pinstripes, and I, I could have died and gone to heaven. It was perfect. And, and, and after the game, we, my dad let us hang out by the, the player's parking lot, which is just outside of there, and players will come and sign autographs. So I got Mark Grace's autograph and Mitch Williams' autograph. And, and I, re- I remember we were leaving, and I, I distinctly remember looking back and, and, and the big sign out there that says Wrigley Field, home of the Chicago Cubs. And I remember leaving, just sort of taking a, a snapshot with my mind. And it was beautiful. And Wrigley was, was, again, a little field of dreams. Fast forward to today, 25, 26, 27 years later, Wrigley Field is being modernized by the time, right? And they've got to change it up. And it will be more practical for the era that it's in, and, and modern architects will make it feel just as magical. But it will also be more player-friendly and whatnot. But something happened when they broke ground over by left field. When the big heavy equipment came in and knocked the cement down, something happened. Something was underneath Wrigley. You know what it was? Neighbors started to complain. Rats. Everywhere. Rats living under Wrigley for decades. Everywhere. Hundreds, maybe thousands. Neighborhood, neighbors just complaining every day. There's rats, rats, rats everywhere. Rats everywhere. Rats everywhere. Underneath the place where all kinds of kids like myself had their best childhood dreams come true in this magical moment underneath all of it were thousands of rats. Our best constructs, buildings, worship, services, sermons, programs, our best human constructs can look so beautiful on the outside. Our best attempts at reaching God in in this can look so beautiful on the outside, but underneath can have some ugliness to it. Because finally, in everything that we build in church, everything that we expect when we come here and all of that, finally, we're still sinners. And finally, all of our constructs don't reach up to God as much as God in Jesus reaches down to us. It takes God reaching down to us. The temple was beautiful. You couldn't build something more beautiful. I know this was the second temple. The first one was knocked down. But you couldn't build something more beautiful. And if you said anything about it, people would want to go crazy. And yet Jesus says, knock it down. I'll build it back in three days. Because look at that's not the place where you're going to exchange with God. Finally, God is going to have to reach down to us. 
in the fully God, fully person of Jesus Christ, God reached past all of our human constructs to grab a hold of us. So when Jesus is flipping tables and, and saying to those who are bewildered by his actions that knock it all down and I'll rebuild it in three days, what, what, what he's really saying, and, and it says it clearly in John, he's speaking of himself. Whatever you build to try to reach God, uh-uh. I'm reaching you. Will Wilmot puts it this way, when Jesus speaks of himself as the temple that is being destroyed and will be rebuilt in three days, I believe he's asserting the truth that you have experienced. You, Faith, you, Rosalind, here in your humanly constructed temple that is your and our congregations. Jesus Christ, as light of the world, the primary mediator between God and humanity, is a truth that's not proved or built or constructed. I know I've said it five times but we don't reach God. And worship is not worship as usual. The mystery is that when we gather, we come with the hope and expectation that in spite of the rats underneath, God will still reach down to us anyways. I think that's the central voice of the text today. Go ahead, turn to your neighbor. Say, neighbor. Just humor me, come on. I saw this whole side over here. Just... Just turn to him and say, neighbor, oh neighbor, we don't reach God. God reached down to us in Jesus. Now, now here's the interesting thing, is that when God reaches down to us, he does the most strange thing in then expecting us to go and reach others. To one of the sorriest congregations that ever existed, the church in Corinth, Paul wrote, you are God's temple, and God's spirit dwells in you. And if we've experienced Jesus Christ reaching down to us, if we've experienced that, we we can't help but know that God is in us, and then we have to go share that with others. That's what mission is, right? One writer put it this way, it's just what you'd expect when when Paul wrote, you're you're God's temple, God's spirit dwells in you. He says, it's just what you'd expect from a person who's been met by the living Christ. Christ, the light of the world, then commissions us otherwise benighted ones to be lights to the world. In so doing, Christ implies that, that others are to experience the light of God reaching down through us. If we are, if we are to see God, we must see it through Christ. But here's the daunting truth, is that if the world is to know Christ, the world must learn of Christ through witnesses like us. So again, God reaches down to us in spite of ourselves, and then in some odd, mysterious way, God expects others to see God through the church through our work being sent out, commissioned. I have the advantage and the disadvantage um, of knowing the congregation that, that I'm called to serve, not just as pastor, but in many respects as a child of the church. Uh, I didn't grow up there when I was a little kid, but when I was 21, 22, I started to go, and um, I was hard partying and uh, wild and got in trouble. Uh, but the congregation embraced me and put their arms around me. But they, they know me, and I know them rather well, not just as pastor, but, but as 
sort of son of the church in a lot of ways. I've lived with families in the church, been friends with people in the church before I was their pastor. In some ways, it's probably too familiar. They know my warts? No. You know my warts, I know yours. But in other ways, that level of familiarity has helped this congregation to know that God can use someone like a wild, young, partying intern to be a pastor and a leader for God's kingdom. And it's opened my eyes to see people, not just as a pastor, but friend and brother, to know that that, that God can use folks in the congregation, no matter what the past may be, to build God's kingdom. Christ, God reaches us, and in us, God reaches the world. A quick story, because it's, it's a call for you, too. It's a call for all of us. But a quick story. One morning during breakfast at the church, about six weeks ago, a woman came and said, Pastor, I didn't really know her too well, but she said, Pastor, can the church take up an offering? I need to do a funeral for my cousin. He's been dead for a couple weeks. My cousin's squeaky. And uh, I'd heard the name before. I knew who he was a little bit. But I said, well, what happened? Tell me about it. And and, uh, Because we don't just give out money, you know, when someone comes to the door. Uh, but she said he froze to death in an abandoned building right by Palmer Park on 113th in uh, Indiana. But he froze to death a few weeks ago in an abandoned building, and, and uh, his body's at Cook County Morgue. Uh, we, we just want to run a place uh, to get together, tell some stories, pray, get a musician and eat. But can you, can, can you give us some money? And again, I said, we don't just give out money like that, but that day uh, during the church service, um, just point blank, Ask the congregation, hey, this guy who kind of comes here, I mean, he comes to breakfast in the morning, stays for devotions sometimes, and then he you know, leaves to go make money. This, this guy died, froze to death. No one knew about it for a couple weeks, and his body's at the morgue, and his family's hurting. And I said that to the congregation, and before the end of uh, the service that day, the minister of music said, hey, I'll do music for that funeral. And another person said, hey, Whatever it takes to make obituaries, I don't have much, but I can put together a program. And, and, and another person said, hey, you know, I can cook some food. And another person said, hey, I, I can help usher that day. Uh, and, and we organized a funeral for this man. A week later, we gathered together at Rosen Christian Ministries to make sure that this man was not overlooked in death. His mother, his sisters came. We worshiped, we prayed, we testified, we shared stories. The community choir sang. We, we heard God's word together. Afterwards, we broke bread, we fellowshiped. We we were the church that day, making sure that the last and the least were not overlooked, making sure that if nobody else saw him, Jesus did. His family and the community of of homeless brothers and sisters, they they, they didn't overlook it. They came afterwards to me. Uh, People I'd never seen before, people I'd just seen in the community but didn't really know too much, but came to me afterwards and said, thank you, you don't know how much it means. You don't know how much it means that we're able to come together like this. That we're able to honor someone's life. You don't know how much it means that just we can come together and, and, and know that we're not overlooked in this world. It was the church, I think, being the church, being commissioned. Now, as I said earlier, I know the congregation of Roseland Christian Ministries. I know the congregation of Roseland Christian Reformed Church. They reached out to the family into the community of a man who froze to death in an abandoned building because God, in Jesus Christ, first reached out to them. They had experienced the new temple. They had experienced the new temple. 
and it wasn't business as usual. They had experienced the new temple, and everything had changed. People of faith, in your reaching out to us at Roseland, I think you've experienced the new temple that is Jesus Christ. And you couldn't help but wrap your arms around the, the bigger church to us. Amen.